everybody. Welcome to the YamCast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. This week, folks, on the Yamcast, we're covering one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's pretty epic. It is called Lefty and the Fat Man. Let that sit for a little bit. James, are you going to put, like, really suspenseful music right there for us? I could make you echo. No, I don't need that. <laughs> no, one, no one needs more of me. Lefty and the fat man. Lefty and the fat man. Man, 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 man. Here's my echo. That's what we're looking for. I could probably add something to All right, here's the basic storyline of Judges 3, the whole last half of Judges 3. Here's, here's basically the concept. Ehud is awesome. Shamgar, also awesome. Mm-hmm. But not as famous for some reason. So in order to get into this storyline... I could just walk you through the details. I want to read it because this story is legit. So here we go. Judges 3, starting starting in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very, very fat man. I know your translation only has one very, but we're putting two in there. Verse 18. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back to the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat and Ehud reached with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade (laughs) for he did not pull the sword out of the belly and the dung came out. And if you're thinking that's not true, read it in the ESV. That's exactly how it says it. Verse 23, when Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them, when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Dun, dun, dun. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. And he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him and seized the fords of Jordan against the Moabites, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Great story. Mm-hmm. And then I want you, I'm going to read the last verse because it has nothing to do with that story, but it's going to be what we're going to deal with in the podcast today. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. He also saved Israel. That's it. Basic storyline. Now it's time for the deeper dive. 
Why did I not get an echo that time? Duh, no, duh, stu- duh, it's too late. Duh, you, oh. you totally messed it up. All right. We have a couple of different topics that we're going to jump into for the deeper dive. Uh, first of all, let me just point out, this story is awesome. It's there. Just, just for all of you that are like, is this really there? It is there. This, it, is, it is actually there in Judges 3. For you who are leading college ministries and you who you know, are involved in young adult ministry or even in a youth pastor, this is one of those stories that when I'm dealing with a bunch of jaded church kids who don't love Jesus and can't figure out whether the Bible's worth reading, I take them to this story and it at least gets them interested in God's word for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's legit. So there's a little tip. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about with the deeper dive. All right. So a couple things to point out. First off, Moab and Ammon or, or Ben-Ami, you might wonder, okay, who are these people? What's going on? And if you didn't think that, prepare to buckle up. We're going to talk about them anyway. So do you remember what that whole story about Abram? Do you remember? And he had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. Right. That's the song, but I'm talking more about the story. <laughs> yeah. So Abram had many sons, but when he had no sons, he was asked to leave his homeland. God mm-hmm. showed up and said, why don't you leave this land, take your, your, take your wife and leave, leave your whole family behind. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Back in Genesis chapter 12. So what does Abram do? He leaves. He leaves, but he brings somebody along with him. Oh, Lot. You know yeah. So he brings yeah. along his nephew, Lot, and he's like, Lot, I'm going to a new place. God told me to go and leave my whole family. You want to come with? Totally. I think it's a disobedient moment in some ways. So what Lot does is Lot comes along and Lot becomes a, a problem for Abram. Kind at of first, like the thorn in the side a little bit. Exactly like the thorn in the side. So at first, Lot and Abram are getting along. Everybody's doing great until all their goats start reproducing multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. The like, story doesn't go into that detail. Like rabbits? That would be one way to look at it. Okay. So now they have a whole bunch of goats and they have a whole bunch of people or sheep, whatever they, I don't know. I don't know what they were pastor, uh, you know, pastoring. That's really what that word means. So they got all these animals and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so Lot and Abram have to get in an argument and that causes them to split up. And Abram takes the, the brown space is what it says, like the dirt. And Lot takes the luscious green spot down by the Jordan River. Down by the river. Down. <laughs> Lot chooses a van down by the river. But this van isn't just like any other van. This van, he decides to set up shop in a little city called Sodom. So like a sketchy van. This van has dark, dark windows. <laughs> and it has free ice cream. <laughs> Spray painted on the side of it. Our illustration of the van is getting a little out of hand, but we're going to stick with it. Apologize. So he's set up in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the town that he decides to live in. And what Lot does here is he still seems to be following Yahweh, but his life is surrounded by a lot of evil. So when God comes and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram obviously looks out for Lot and says, God, you can't destroy the city. What if there's someone faithful who's in there? And God says, yeah, I'm not going to destroy the city if there's, you know, 50 faithful people, 45, 40, all the way down the list. And he gets down, you know, I believe it's 10 is where it ends. But regardless... God then destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's family has to run away. And so Lot's family runs away. And as they're running away, his wife turns around and looks out and she turns into a pillar of salt. We all know that part of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Even to the extent that I saw on a Christian website a couple of days ago, you can buy salt shakers and pepper shakers. <laughs> the, they don't look the, like her, do they? The salt shaker is a woman and she's frozen and she's looking backward and Lot is like running the other direction. It's legit. It's so great. Anyway. All that to say, she turns into salt. And so Lot has his two daughters, her, her, his daughter's boyfriends or betrothed. We're not sure if they, I don't think they were husbands yet. They all get burned up in the city. So all that's left is Lot and his daughters. And they set up residence in a little tiny town and it doesn't quite go super well. And I think Lot is traumatized. You know, if, if we were to talk about it a little bit, I, this might be like a Lot has PTSD sort of deal. Like he can't live where he's at because he's like, if I live in this city, it's going to burn too. Like. I think Mm. Lot totally misunderstood what God was doing. So what Lot does is he decides to move into a cave with his two daughters. Now, if you have kids, if you have kids and you're listening to this, uh, this whole story today is a little weird. So you may not, you know, but it's in the Bible. So it's up to you whether you want to let your kids listen to it or not. But if you didn't already send them out of the room after we read the lefty and the fat man, uh, you might want to send them out of the room right now. Okay. Genesis 19, uh, verses 30 through 38. I'm just going to, I'm going to paraphrase what happens here. We're not going to go into super detail, 
But Lot's two daughters look at him and say, we're not going to be able to carry on our dad's line. We're living in a cave. We abandoned the van down by the river. Now we're living in a cave. No one's going to marry us up here. We're in the middle of nowhere. So one of the sisters decides the best way for us to carry on our father's line is to seduce him. So they get him drunk and Lot, they sleep with him and the sister gets pregnant. The other sister says, that's a great idea. I'm going to do the same thing. So they get their dad drunk again. They seduce him again. The two children that are born to these daughters, one daughter has a child named Moab. The other one has a child named Ben-Ami. Now the Moabites set up shop. Basically, if you're in the promised land and you're looking at the Jordan River, Moab and Ammon and Esau, so Edom, all of those lands are beyond the Jordan. They're on the other side of the Jordan. So basically, if you think about it this way, Israel's supposed to be in the promised land and they have these distant cousins, not just distant cousins, but distant cousins who are from incestuous relationships with their dad. Mm-hmm. Breaks all the rules, right? Just sort of a disgusting. And when they look across and they see these individuals, they think these are disgusting individuals. They shouldn't even be here, let alone they shouldn't have any access to any of this. So now that the Israelites are in the land, in the book of Judges, some of the people that are going to sort of hound the Israelites are actually some of these distant cousins. And when you look back at the way the story started, you're supposed to think they shouldn't exist. This is gross. What's going on? So when we move into this story, and, and this is the reason why I'm giving you all this backdrop, is when we read Judges 3, if you were an Israelite and you're reading verses 12 on, and it says, Eglon, the king of Moab, your first thought is, king of Moab? I don't like Moab. Like, I know where Moab came from. They shouldn't exist. This is gross. Then to hear that the king of Moab was strengthened by the Lord against Israel, this should make you feel really icky. Not just because of the whole story, but it should also make you go, why is God giving Moab any type of strength? They don't deserve it. And on top of that, why is he giving them strength against Israel? If there's any people group that God should be looking out for and that God should be strengthening, it's Israel, not giving Israel uh, a big thorn in the side like Moab. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, you could w- almost trace this all the way back to the Genesis 12 story where God says, leave your family. And Abram doesn't exactly do what God wants him to do. So in and, a way, it's a consequence of a decision made a long time ago. Yeah. And with the Abram story, there's a number of consequences from decisions that Abram makes. You know, Ishmael has 12 sons that are all nations now surrounding the Israelites. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you know, Abram went on to have other kids after he had Isaac. Some of those kids are set up right around, you know, in fact, you know, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is tied to one of those family groups. So there's a lot of Abrahamic type people living in the land, but only one nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's some conflict here, and we should see that. And we don't often see it because we just read King of Moab and we're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. And we move on. This is another people group. Right. But this goes back to our storyline discussions that we had way back in the beginning before we got into judges at all. Just to remind you, there are, it's not, I don't want to say codes because that totally gives the wrong impression. It's not like God's like on a morse and they're like, do, 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 do. like not that kind of code. <laughs> but the code here is basically when you see words like Moab, it should make you want to stop and trace back where they came from so that you get a good feel for what's going on. And then when you move down to verse 13, and it says, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, you should be going, oh boy, all of those families are connected. None of them are Israel, but they're distant relatives of Israel, and all of them have some pretty shady starts. So none of them should be in the land at all, let alone God shouldn't be allowing them to rise up. So this shows you how bad it's getting in Israel, that God feels like he needs to strengthen these messed up people to take parts of the land. Mm. You with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what does uh, what does Eglon do with this strengthening? Great. So the whole point of this story is really that if you're thinking about Eglon, we read that he's a fat, fat man, right? Mm-hmm. It, we read very fat. You know, I, when I read it a minute ago, I said very, very fat. In Hebrew, when you read two words next to each other, it's often like fat, fat. So Eglon was a fat, fat man. <laughs> Which I love. He's super fat, fat, right? Uh, I remember when... When I was an intern here, we had students in the youth ministry that called each other like Fatty McFat, Fat, and stuff like that. That's basically so uplifting. Really, Such a really? great 
encouraging group to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I won't throw their names out now, but I'm probably going to get a call from one of them once this episode airs. Like, why didn't you use our names and tell them everybody who we were? I want to be famous too. Because they think this is making us famous. Mm. Yep. The, that's the, 10, the point. The, t- the 20 people listening to it. <laughs> so uh, Eglon was a fat, fat man. And the reason why that's there is Eglon is given strength from the Lord, which means he's allowed by divine providence to have access to the Holy Land. And he takes this access, this ability to consume, and he takes advantage of it. He's a terrible steward of God's goodness. So he just absorbs, 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 quite literally, until (laughs) he absorbs so much that he's a fat, fat man. Mm -hmm. And it should make us, we should be reading this going, God raised this person up. God made him a steward over Israel for a period of time, right? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, what this individual did with that stewardship is totally broke it and decided to do things his own way. And by doing things his own way, he consumed and consumed and consumed and consumed and consumed until he became fat. Mm. Nasty. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Erica, how awesome is this story? Um, It's pretty stinking awesome. And you might be sitting there thinking, why did I never see this on VeggieTales? <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. Like, why was this not a VeggieTales? But now I can't get that image out of my head. I like wanted a, to see Junior. An eggplant? Yes. Being stabbed in the stomach with a sword? I'd like to see the, the French peas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Being his people that come to the door and they're like... Wee wee wee. I can't, I can't do a French accent, but <laughs> we bring you tribute. Wee wee, bring you tribute, right? Yeah, or like, oh, he's relieving himself. Must come back later. You know, whatever it might be. There's, I think you just kind of highlighted some of the reasons why this may not be in Veggie Tales ever. Hmm. But I, I think we should uh, contact whoever does that. I agree. So if you're a Veggie Tales person, by all means, <laughs> and you're, you're listen- listening. If to you're this. listening to this podcast, first of all, you probably missed your direct audience. Second of all. <laughs> We'd love to see a, a Veggie Tales episode where uh, a, a vegetable gets stabbed in the stomach. Yeah, I, I'm like, why didn't they ever use this one? But no, I wish you really feel like this would be. I mean, there's so many books and, and stories that I feel like would just be great in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Courageous, that was good. You know, War Room, that was great. <laughs> Fireproof, okay. But like. Eglon and the lefty? Like, we should have done that. Kirk Cameron, this is a shout out. Yeah. Kirk, I don't even care if you're Ehud. You can be Ehud. You, you can be the lefty. Hire yourself. With maybe the deformed right hand. I don't hire know. Hire yourself a fat, fat man. Mm-hmm. And make this movie. I'm just reminded of, is it in Is it in one of the Austin Powers movies where there's a really fat man? Yeah. That's what you, I think of when I think of... You can't say his name on the podcast. No, I, yes. don't, I don't remember what his name yes. is anyways, but I, yeah, now I'm glad, I remember I'm, it. I'm glad you're um, not going to say but that. But that's who I think would play the uh, the fat, fat man. That was just Mike Myers in, yeah. a, in a fat suit. But that but would I'm be totally the person. Down. Yeah, so Mike Myers in a fat suit along with Kirk Cameron. Is just sitting basically the whole time. And if Kirk Cameron's not going to do it. for the minute right. when he's going to get his message from God. Right. And then, oh man. And Kirk, if you're not going to help us, uh, I think Nicolas Cage can do it. And just wear, <laughs> wear the hair from Con Air. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, the hillbilly from Con Air, comes walking in. I have a message for you, King. And then... And then he's done. Okay, the sound effects. That's um, what I think of. It's it, this, this idea that the sword doesn't have a hilt. He builds it without a hilt so that he can get it as deep into that person as so possible. So doesn't he cut his own hand? No. The idea... It's a good. I understand why you would think that, but what it he still has a handle on it. Okay. But the idea is the it just hilt, doesn't have the, the right. The hilt okay. would stop would it. Stop it. Okay. So he just shoves his hand into the guy's guts and then lets him leave. Just lets go of the sword, and that sword just kind of gets in there. Jelly, you know, or jello. And then it disappears. It's like a. And it it's just, like a. It's like a magic trick. You could see the the way that my hands are deciding. It's it's beautiful. I'm trying not to. But the visualize. whole this sword, 18 inches is how big a cube it is. So he stabs a guy with an 18-inch sword and the sword gets sucked into his belly. And that causes the dung to come he, out. He poops himself. Which is why the people think he's relieving himself. So, is it a common thing to be relieving yourself in the closet of the cool chamber, which I also love that they keep calling it a cool chamber. Can we just say? I imagine disco lights and like <laughs> it's the party room. Yeah, 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 yeah. The cool chamber. It's like, are those lava lamps? It's my cool chamber. <laughs> like this, oh, so not cool temp. Oh, you mean cool no. as in like yeah. this is where we hang? Right, right, right. Okay. That's kind of how I imagine it. Like animal skins up on the walls <laughs> and lava, okay. lava lamps. 
maybe a dartboard. This is a cool chamber. It's you a like cool it? chamber. Everybody wants Ladies, to hang out in a cool chamber. I'm really fat, but do you want to come check out my cool chamber? Oh They're my like, gosh. are those dice? Oh, totally. Dice? I don't know. Why is and that cool? I don't know. None, okay. of, none of it's really cool. But hey, he's, lava lamps are cool. But it, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Wonderful to hear. Yep. So yeah, he takes him into the he goes into the cool chamber and he relieves himself, which is common apparently for Eglon, the the fat fat man. He likes to go in and relieve himself in the cool chamber. Um. I, I just also think it's funny that they come up to the door and they're like, oh, like they just smell. Oh, I see what's going on here. We'll come back later. Just makes me laugh. So so as part of this part of the deeper dive, let me let me run through this really quick. Run through the story one more time with you just to sort of get you to, to see it and feel it. So you've got a lefty, right? This guy who is carving a sword by himself. You know, He's just, you, the, the scene starts with this guy. By a, a a wheel, you know, a little rock that's spinning, and he's he's sharpening this sword, and it's got no hilt, and we're like, what is he gonna do with it? And people are probably like, what you doing? And everyone's like, hey, what you doing there? hey, Ehud, what you doing? And Ehud's like, oh, hey guys, I don't know, just sharpening my sword. What are you doing? They're like, oh, we're taking tribute to the king. We're gonna pay Eglon for being our king. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. Can I come along <laughs> Me with too. you? Yeah. yeah. So he hops on the bandwagon, goes into the thing, and they drop off the tribute, and Eglon, the fat fat man's like, thank you so much. Have you seen my cool chamber? And they're like, no. He's like, it's not for you. It's only for the cool people. I, I, Okay, just for the record really quick. I know that cool chamber probably means that it's actually a cool room temperature-wise, but it's way cooler if you go with my But it's also probably where they would hang out because it's the cool chamber. Yeah. Right? So it is like, you know. Yeah, although a number of commentaries, including the Block one that I mentioned last week, Dan Block, there are so many people that say there's no way that a cool chamber existed on top of this house because that's ridiculous because— it's really hot in Jericho, which is what the city of Palms is, by mm. the way. If you go back to Judges 1, it mentioned then that, that the city of Palms was destroyed by Joshua. It was one of the first cities he went into. So you're like, oh, it's Jericho. It's all connected. Okay. So here we are. Eglon says, thank you so much for the tribute. And they're like, yeah, no problem. And then Ehud's like, oh, guys, good job. And he's like, you guys can head on out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for, for you. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, don't wait for me. Just head back home. We'll be fine. They're like, okay, great. So they, they head out. And then he turns to Eglon, the fat, fat man. And he goes, I have a message from God for you. And it says that Ehud stood up from his chair, which probably means he like closed his eyes and opened his hands. Like, I want to hear the message from God. Tell me. He might even know. Because of Lot being his great, 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 great grandpa mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. he might be still worshiping the same God, but he's just doing it all wrong, right? That's kind of the idea. And so he stands up, give me the message from God. And so Ehud comes up, grabs the sword from the right hand thigh right, yeah. with his left hand and stabs him into the stomach and lets it, you know, stick in there. You <laughs> like that? Stop that. And it gets stuck in his belly. The dung comes out, it spills out everywhere, and Ehud lets himself down. And as he lets himself down, all the people smell it, and they're like, oh, gross. He's relieving himself in the cool chamber again. They're like, yeah, we got to go clean it again. This is gross. They didn't say any of that. I added that part of the story. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then what happens is Ehud runs out, gets all the people of Israel to come down, and they wipe out 10,000 Moabites, and they kick them out of the land. And the land has rest for 80 years. So it's a legit story. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's a Hollywood story. Waiting, I think waiting to yep, go. Somebody needs to somebody needs to get that because there's just so many places you could go with putting in different things that you think should be there. So. Right. And one of the great things that Hollywood loves is an underdog story. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the things that you're going to see in the Bible, which I, I would re- make the recommendation. It's possible that Hollywood loves underdogs because the Bible's full of underdogs. Right. Whenever we think of an underdog story. People always say, it was a real David versus Goliath situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get to that one weeks from now if we ever get to 1 Samuel. Uh, but there's stuff going on throughout the Bible of the underdog or the second being chosen mm-hmm. or someone who's got some type of deformity or something else, right? The unlikely. David shows kindness to a guy who has a limp leg. Uh, God chooses the secondborn's sacrifice instead of Cain's. So Abel's actually accepted, Cain's is mm-hmm. not. God gives Jacob favor even though he wasn't born first. Mm-hmm. You go through the whole Bible, there's all these moments where there's things like this. And when you see a left-handed man, you should be thinking, whoa, this is an underdog story. And then you add to that, people who disregard God's ways and who are bad stewards with what God gives them, there's this beautiful story all throughout scripture of the underdogs versus the evil men. And these evil men could be 
warrior kings, warrior princes. Like if you were to go back to Genesis and look at the genealogies, there's this thing of this, he was a mighty man before the Lord. And this idea was that very tall, powerful individual, everyone bows down to them because of their might and they use their might mm-hmm. for evil. Mm. Right. And so here's God raising up Eglon giving him strength and Eglon's like, oh, I'm so strong. Like I almost kind of imagine, you know, like, like in a movie where, you know, somebody gets electrocuted or something and they survive it, but they get stronger because of it. Like a superhero movie. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not like a normal movie. I'm like, Yeah, what? you're like, I've never seen those movies. But <laughs> Who would do that? A superhero movie, you know, where the individual goes through a chemical splash or they get like electrified and all of a sudden you, you see this pan away and the, the wall is showing them sort of changing into this mighty... Mm-hmm. That's kind of what what typically happens in the Bible is God gives them some type of supernatural boost of some sort, and I don't mean like a superhero. I mean in the sense that God just says, "All right, my people are totally messing up here. I'm going to go to Moab and I'm going to give them some strength so they're able to do what they're supposed to do." And what Moab does with this strength is they totally just gobble up everything they can from the land, and they get fat, 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 right? And so, the, how do you fix the the evil men in the Bible? You got to send somebody to fix the problem. And at least for the first part here, the book of Judges, and you're going to see that the judges are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, You know, these are the first couple and it doesn't really talk about them being unrighteous, but all of a sudden, like our next, you know, our next story is like one of the best judges in the whole book, Deborah. But then after that, they're just going to go way downhill. And so you're going to also notice the underdogs are also evil but they're taking out maybe a greater evil. But either way you look at it, the whole book of Judges is full of people that just like God is not honored by what's happening. Mm -hmm. So in this story, you've got a lefty underdog taking on a a mighty evil person. And this is a very common storyline all throughout scripture. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I always root for the underdog, sports teams, whatever it might be. I always root for the underdog, the unlikely, because I think it's more exciting when they win. Excuse me. Um, Yet you're a Packer fan, and they're very rarely the underdog. Well, but I'm also a Cubs fan. There you go. That's so, more like it. So, <laughs> um, at least for this stint, Packers aren't bad. Who knows after Aaron Rodgers what will happen. So, but, but I think it's also in the Bible, they can't end up taking the credit, right? So mm-hmm. it is God who ends up taking and being able to take that credit. So, and I think that's what we like when we see those underdog things too, is it's like, it just all came together that day, you know, or, um, yeah, they had a good game and they had a bad game or whatever it might be that it just, the stars aligned, whatever it might be that makes that underdog win. Totally. And it's exciting. Totally. And then kind of the ultimate underdog of chapter three is the guy that we know nothing about, but he's probably the most powerful judge that we see in the story so far. We know nothing about Shamgar. Except that he's the son of <laughs> Anath. He's his dad is Anath. You remember Anath? No, because he's nowhere else no. in the Bible. No one cares. But he kills six hundred people with an ox goad. An ox goad is basically like a trowel attached to a stick, and a trowel is just like a soft shovel, like a knot. So basically, like not a weapon. It's a flat piece of metal that they would use to poke an ox to keep the ox moving. Sometimes it was sharpened, but often it wasn't. And we're not talking like a spear. Because you don't want to stab the ox. Yeah, you don't want to injure the ox. <laughs> Get out, oh, man. Okay, I don't think it's the ox that you're worried about with being injured. If you stab an ox, the ox turns around and gores you and you die. So oh. it's more like you want to have something that's just sharp enough to keep the ox's attention. Like, but not, but right. also to protect yourself. The ox is walking yeah. in a circle. He starts falling asleep. You just poke him a little bit. He's like, okay. He wakes up. Now, if you stab him with something really sharp, the ox is like, and kills you. <laughs> so really, it's for your benefit. Yeah. Okay. So okay. ox goat is not sharp, but he slays 600 Philistines with it. And then it says, and he also saved Israel. You think? He killed 600 people. All the left he did was killed one fat guy, mm-hmm. and then he went and got a whole army and came back and killed 10,000 people with him. But it's a whole army. I know. So, yeah. This more. dude, Shamgar, is like a ninja of ninjas. You know? Imagine giving a ninja something dull. Ninja, I want you to kill this entire army of people. And they're like, well, what will you give me? Because that's how ninjas this talk. This wooden spoon. <laughs> yeah. They're like, here's a spoon. I will take all other appendixes. <laughs> I'll take out other appendixes. <laughs> and they will die of blood. Like the, if you could see, I, I would like to dub over my voice to make it sound like a true, uh, you know, ninja movie. Anyway, we know nothing about Shamgar. The where you see the lips moving and then okay, yeah. That's what you're talking about. But he's totally legit. 
I'm really he disappointed because I would like more on Shamgar, I which I feel like would. I feel like when this person, whoever wrote this about Shamgar, probably didn't actually witness it. They just heard it, so they can't actually. You know, put more detail to this it. This is like my brother. That's what at, I think it is. My brother was at this thing, and he heard about this guy yeah, who did think... this thing. Are you aware of what Shamgar did? And they're like, no. It's like, dude, Shamgar totally grabbed an ox goat, killed 600 people. They're like, no way. He's like, totally. That's how. And then, and then he'd be like, how? And he'd be like, I don't know. Randy told me. But he also <laughs> saved Israel just like Ehud. Yeah. And they're like. Okay, well, we'll add that one, but I don't know if it's true. No, of course it's true. We'll just put it as a footnote. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we're joking. Obviously, it's in God's word, so it, it totally happened. But I'm just bummed that we don't have more about Shamgar. This feels like an afterthought. Like someone was like, oh, shoot, we did a lot for Othniel and a little bit for Ehud. Dang it. We didn't leave enough room for Shamgar. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the first ones. We should totally stick him in here. Yeah, quick, throw Shamgar. What did he do? I don't know. Something about 600 people in an ox goat. Yeah, let's make sure that gets in there. And that's how it worked. And then we want to like have a nice little thing about him saving Israel at the end. And he mm-hmm. did. And he did. With an ox goat. Yep. Okay, everybody, let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. So I think the question we want to deal with this week, and we won't, we won't spend a ton of time on this one because we did so much with, with Judges 3, which is great, but are we a good steward of God's goodness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God blesses us in different ways, and I think we do exactly the same thing that Eglon does, and we consume, 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 especially in America. So I had extra money this week from a paycheck. Do I actually use it wisely or do I go buy something or eat dinner or whatever else it might be instead of maybe giving that money to where it should go? Maybe there's somebody in need who actually needed that money, but nope, I spent it on baskets or Taco Bell or whatever it might be. I spent it on myself and I consumed it rather than actually if he blesses you, it's meant to bless other people. So being able to actually use that and give that to someone else rather than on yourself, like Eglon did. Well, I think you and I have a unique view of this too, because we've spent a fair amount of time in other countries. And, you know, you spent a considerable amount of time in Haiti. Mm-hmm. I've been to Haiti a couple times. Every time I go to Haiti, there's usually someone that says something like, ah, I just, I'm so glad that we're so blessed in our country. Mm-hmm. And it gets really frustrating for me because I just think, you see blessing as you're just thankful that God has you safe and that you don't have to deal with the difficulties of the world. The problem is the vast majority of the people of the world are suffering like we're watching right now in Haiti. But we take blessing as this thing of like, I'm so glad I have this. Isn't God good to me? And you're, if you think about what you're really saying is that kid isn't blessed by God and you are. Whereas you and I have both seen a kid play with a milk jug with a couple of tires attached to it, and he's happier than any kid who gets a PlayStation for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating because we we misunderstand what blessing means. We think blessing means something like, I'm allowed to do whatever I want to do with this thing, as opposed to thinking, man, God, you're so good to me. How can I use this to bless others, right? We don't receive the gift and then pass it on. We find ways to sort of hoard it and keep track of it ourselves. Yeah, he... What I think is kind of cool is instead of just giving people things that seem to need it, he's like, no, I'm going to, I have an army of people that I'm going to have be my hands and feet and deliver that to those people. The problem is we are that army mm-hmm. and we hold on to it instead of actually giving it. And that's, that's where the problem comes in. Some people are like, oh, we've got plenty of stuff. We could totally end world hunger. We could whatever it might be. And and some of it is like, yes, I understand corrupt governments. I understand all of those things. But even just in the United States, we could be doing far more than we actually are to reach and to help and to, and I'm saying this even to myself, but yeah, to to use the resources that I've been given that are more than I even need. Mm-hmm. And instead of just keeping them because quote, I can, I can, quote unquote, you know, I should be actually looking around and seeing needs that need to be met and seeing if I have what I can to meet that need. 
in working with college students and young adults, this is one of the things they really struggle with because they look at the church and they go, the church isn't doing enough. This is ridiculous. But I, I'm going to challenge us all. Let's, let's help college students and young adults look at themselves in the mirror and realize if they want the church to change, they're going to have to get involved and make the church change. Mm-hmm. And if they really want to be people who are giving and who are changing the world, like if they want to say the church needs to be a better steward of what they have, we need to be challenging college students and young adults to put their money where their mouth is first. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I'm not making any money compared to that's where you learn generosity. That's where you learn how to actually give and be a good steward is when you have nothing and you think, man, I'm getting $200 a week in paycheck and I'm trying to pay my college tuition as well. All right, I'm going to give 20 bucks away because it's a 10th and I want to, I want to start to practice generosity right now in my life. That's where you start it. So instead of complaining about what everyone else is, isn't doing, maybe step up to the plate and be the church that you want it to be. And then I guarantee you the rest of us will start to follow because of your stewardship and your generosity. And now it's time for our next segment. It's not Instagram, but it's definitely Let's Get Enneagram. <laughs> okay. These just keep getting better and better. I like um, titling this segment. I, I, I just yeah. I enjoy coming up with new ones every single week. You're doing a great job. So first, we have two people to talk about. Ehud, we know a lot about, sort of. Shamgar, nothing. I'm so excited to find out what number Shamgar oh, is. I'm, you know what? I'm, I am too. So Ehud is good, right? Does good things, did what he was supposed to do. He's very, like, Trojan horse of him, right? Going to, like, come in saying, like, oh, this is a present, and then I'm going to kill you with this That's actually a sword. great reference for what happens here. Yeah, good that's job. basically like what it. it is. like it a lot. Um, so he's very sneaky. I think that he could be a three also because he wants all the glory for himself. He didn't bring nobody. He just wants all the glory for himself. And that is what a three predominantly wants is their own glory, right? Like that's their vice. Look at me. Look at me. I'm a three in their worst case, I would say. I know all so kinds of threes. they're a performer and they want a glory. They yeah. want the glory. So I, know, I, I know think Ehud is a three. And they're all lefties. All those threes are left. <laughs> are you serious? No, I'm just Oh, kidding. wow. I'm slightly gullible. So he's a three. <clears throat> like it. Yeah. Um, and another disclaimer. Remember, <laughs> we do not know these people. This is a loose, fun thing to do. Okay? All right. So Shamgar knows so much about Shamgar. That one, that one verse is really, I'm really able to pinpoint exactly that I think Shamgar is a five. He's an investigator, and he's just trying to get home. He is done with people. He does not want to be around them anymore. And there are 600 people in between him and his home. And he's got to get rid of them because he needs his alone time. And you do not get in between a five and their me time. Shamgar killed them all. So she, so your story, mm-hmm. your version of the Shamgar story is Shamgar, long day at work. Uh-huh. He's done. Got the ox goat over his shoulder. And he's just like, man, that was a good day. And he looks over the hill and he sees his house and he's like, I'm just a mile away. I can totally do this. And all of a sudden he looks around and he realizes he's surrounded by Philistines. And he's like, well, I could just say move over guys or I could kill them all. Well, it's more so, I mean, yes, there's that, but it's more so that he's like, I'm done with people. I've worked out today. My energy level is down and I need to get it replenished. But that, that's, I, that's, that only gets replenished when I'm by myself. But yeah, there's people in the way and they're, they're like pestering him and wanting things. And he's like, nope, Oxco, nope, Oxco, nope. And he's just wow. taking him out. That's legit. Because he wants to get home. That's a very angry man who needs mm-hmm. a hot bath. And he's about to get one. And some candles. Once he gets home. Yep. He gets home and he's covered in blood. What happened? He's trying to get home and people were in my way. And, and uh, you know how mad I get. My battery, when people are my in my battery way. was low. Now I'm fully recharged, but I'm ready to wash up. <laughs> ready to wash up. I like it. Shamgar's a five. Yep. All right. So for our EM spot this week, <clears throat> we decided that we wanted to interview one of the young adults that we have around our group. But she's not just any young adult. She is... She's really the one that came to me this summer and said, 
we need to do like a college Bible study, young adult Bible study. So can we make that happen? And then I said, you can absolutely make that happen. And then she did. And that actually helped inspire where the podcast was going and all those other things. So ladies and gentlemen, we're going to interview Maddie Haight really quick for our YAM spot this week. Hello. Hi, Maddie. <laughs> Would you like us to use your full name or no. just Maddie? Maddie's fine. Just Maddie's yeah, fine. Okay. All right. Madeline Haight. <laughs> so Maddie, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we start? Um, sure. My name is Maddie Haight, as it's been previously said. <laughs> I currently go to school at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. I commute every day, and people think I am crazy for doing that, but... It's well worth it when I get to do all these cool things here, such as the young adults stuff. And that's kind of the highlight of my life right now. <laughs> and it gives you a ton of time to listen to the Yam cast. It does. I actually did that on my commute. I kind of stockpiled them for a little bit, and then I listened to them all the way. See, I was just doing a shameless plug, but it actually worked. Oh, yeah. No, if you're ever commuting two hours every day to school, it's awesome. I agree. I don't do that, but I could totally imagine if I did two-hour commute, that it would be a good way to do it. good for young adults who do that. Agreed. So what made you want to start our YAM group? So before attending Whitewater, I attended Trinity Western University, and there I— was a part of a campus ministry, I guess. We were called Imago, and we went to a women's rehab center every week, and we just kind of worked alongside the women. And that was amazing and such a good experience for me because, one, it really had a lot of commitment to it that I had to be ready to commit myself to these women every single week, but also the women that I was working alongside with. So we, as an Imago team, we actually got together on Monday nights, I believe, just in one of our leaders' apartments, and we just connected with each other, and it was amazing. And then that following Thursday, we would go out and serve the women together, and in order to to do that, we, um, yeah, we just did whatever they were doing. So if they were doing chores, we worked with them on that. If they were making things to sell in their market, we did that with them as well. And it was a really good experience, and Then just due to circumstances of life, I ended up coming home and I was like, we need something like that here. We need young adults to have that community to come together because I learned a lot from it and I didn't want to stop. Sweet. That's awesome. I mean, we we did kind of say this, but literally Maddie is the reason this is all here, Mm -hmm. right? Like she is the reason we have this podcast. She's the reason that we have the group. Um, And it literally is just having the idea and talking to people about making it happen and making it happen. Um, So what do you think young people are desiring right now in their lives? I guess I can't speak for all, but myself especially, I want to have an understanding of things and I want to know why things work the way they do, which is why I feel like I'm constantly craving knowledge and Yeah, the way that things work, which is why I do really appreciate this young adults group and um, going through the Bible step by step is super interesting to me. And it's what I really like to dig into. To me, it is more beneficial than just getting together and playing a bunch of games and then going home. You know, I think we crave more these days than at least like when we were in middle middle school or high school or something, when it was just kind of all fun and games, and now we want to know the truth. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to interview her for the YAM spot this time. But if you're working with a college ministry or a young adult ministry, they actually crave content more than you would imagine because they've gone through youth group, they've heard all the stories, they've done Sunday school, they were told this is what to believe, this is what to think. But now they've been challenged a little bit, Right. And they've actually had to deal with some of this. And so now they actually are going, give me more. Help me really think this through. So if you're able to step back and really spend time doing it, then it, you know, you, you're able to go to a place that they haven't gone yet. And they realize maybe the church is deeper than they thought it was. And that it's not nearly as bad as maybe what they might have thought it was as well. So, Maddie, what are some of the big things that have jumped out to you at this point? So, you know, since we started the, the YAM Bible study and then, you know, this podcast, what are some of the things that have most encouraged your faith and kind of made you think about it? 
I think one of the most encouraging things is seeing the people who show up every week. Uh, some of them have surprised me and the ones that are constantly coming and also the ones who are open to trying it and then saying how much they loved it and they've never really experienced anything like that before. Um, even if it's just like the community that they're surrounded by. Um, yeah, I think that it's really impactful to have that group of other people who are just like you who want to learn. Um, and also it's enjoyable. I feel like growing up, it's easy to say learning about the Book of Judges is pretty boring. Like I've never studied um, the Book of Judges in depth before. And so with all the big words, it's really hard to understand and just read through. So it's it's encouraging to go through it and have the space to be able to ask those questions and get those definitions from a reliable source and then be able to put it together with the things you already know about the Bible and about God to be true and then be like, wow, this is really amazing that it all fits together like this. That's cool. I like that. And did you hear that, Erica? We're reliable sources. What? <laughs> We're so happy about that. That's great. All right, if you can give one piece of advice to a young adult or to a college student in a church or maybe someone who's not a part of a church now but used to be, what would you throw at them? I think that a lot of it has to do with your perspective on the church to begin with. Um, I know a lot of the young adults that are my age and that I grew up with who have now left the church think that they do not care about them, that the church kind of left them. They graduated out of high school and the church was just kind of like, bye. <laughs> um, but that's not the case. And I think, I think it's a perspective check. So yeah, this might sound a little bit harsh, I guess, but I think it is a little bit of a perspective check on your own end. Uh, a lot of the young adults that I have like grown up with through middle school and high school that have now left the church think that the church doesn't care about them anymore. Um, and yeah, it might not sound entirely fair and might sound a little bit harsh, but eventually I think you do have to take a step back and ask yourself, are you trying to be served by the church for the rest of your life? And is that what you want to get out of it? Or are you ready to step up and serve yourself? Because yes, as a middle school and a high school student, we do, as a church body, want to serve you and bring you up. But I think eventually, once you start to get to the young adult age, it can't be about you anymore. It has to be about what you can do to serve the kingdom. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's key. Um, and I think that's also just good for us to hear, because I think maybe we need to be doing some things that are different with middle school and high school to, and I think we are actually in different, um, different churches. I feel like they are doing that where they're making them responsible for things. Right. And it isn't just serving th those younger generations, but, um, but trying to get them to realize that they're a part of the church even before they um, graduate. Right. But no, I think that, I think that's key. Yeah. We can't, we can't just be reliant on other people to, to bring us up and to make things right and to whatnot. We got to have some ownership there. So another question, Maddie, that we have for you is what would you say to a leader that is leading a small group right now? What What is like some advice that you might have for them or a tip or um, just a word of encouragement that you might have for them to keep them pressing forward? Yeah, so I've kind of been struggling with this a little bit myself. Um, it's that first I would say there are people there that want it. Even if they don't show up every single week, um, as we all know, young adults have a lot going on, whether it's school, sports, work, all that type of stuff. Um, but there are people there in your church who do want it. You just have to you do. You have to put it out there. You have to put in the work um, to make sure people know about it. And then really you just have to hand it over and be like, God, this is yours. And the people you want to show up will show up. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's great. Thanks. So do you have any do you have anything else you would want to say? Otherwise, that was a great little interview. You can leave it just like that. I feel like I had like a second part to that and then it just like completely blanked. And then it left. Like it just like I was like, so yeah, there's that, but then there's something that was <laughs> What was the question again? Like advice or something or encouragement that you would give for a leader that's doing this in a church? Oh, yes. Um to another piece of advice that I would give is to remember what got you to where you are now. Um, just remembering everything that God has done, everything that he has placed in your life to lead you to where you are, to give you the desire to serve, to give you the young adult ministry or whatever type of ministry that's on your heart, like it's on your heart for a reason and to go for it. Um, yeah, because it's not going to be easy at all. And it's going to be very scary that people aren't going to want it or they're not going to like it or they're not going to approve of you. But as long as you are doing it for the Lord and you have the people around you to support that, go for it. Always. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the app store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. <laughs>